Hawkeye fans, I'm tired of hearing about the invalid fair catch call that took away your touchdown. I'll admit that the rule is stupid, selectively enforced, and nobody knew about it except for the zebras in Kinnick, but nonetheless, it is the rule in the book, and the zebras were actually doing their job correctly for once when they did call it. After last week's debacle in Jack Trice Stadium, however, you are officially out of room to complain because the officials taking away 33 yards and likely a touchdown on an out-of-bounds call whistle that was clearly wrong when looking at video is much, much worse. Cooper DeGene looked like he got hosed. Jalen Knoll actually got hosed. And I could go on about other bad calls early on that set the tone of that game, but none of them definitively changed the outcome of the game. They might have changed the outcome, but we can't be entirely sure. Not calling Knoll back almost certainly would have allowed the Cyclones to score a touchdown on that drive when blowing the play dead kept them from scoring at all. Kansas' margin of victory in the game, by the way, seven points. That single missed call almost certainly changed the outcome of the game, changed the Big 12 race, held the Cyclones out of bowl eligibility for another week, and likely has other cascading effects as we near the end of the regular season. Today is Friday, November 10th. I'm Matt Menson, and welcome to the Cornfield Sports Pod. Blake, welcome back to the show as usual. Absolutely. While I get to rant all I want about these refs. I cannot. Yeah. It's uh, it's tragic, so I have to speak for two. But, yeah, this is this is where I renew my call for accountability measures against officials. Listen up, Big 12. Um, here's a quote from your own rule book, Section 11, uh, comments about officiating. Coaches, student-athletes, and institutional personnel – are prohibited from making any public comment regarding the game officials or the officiating in any contest. The public airing of officiating matters, whether directly or indirectly, during or after a game, verbally or by use of video, on or off the record, is prohibited. This rule is why I have to comment on this alone, why Blake can't comment on this. But Big 12, this is awful. Shame on you for this, Big 12. This actively discourages accountability. This is just, this is terrible. You should not be doing this. No league should be doing this. And right now, the public has no reason to believe that there is any incentive for the officials in your league or any other league for that matter outside of the XFL, which I'll get to in a second. We have no reason to believe that your officials are even incentivized to have integrity. There's no reason for that at all. If anything, they'd be incentivized to prioritize calls for the members of the conference that are contributing the most money to the conference because they're contributing the most to the officials' paychecks. If anything, that's where it stands. That's shaky incentive structure as well. There's a lot of weak points in that argument, but right now, that is in fact the strongest argument for why there is such a serious integrity problem in officiating because there certainly isn't transparency and there needs to be a public facing accountability process because right now there is nothing at all and hot mics during a game is a good start the xfl is the current gold standard for this but even that can be better the big 12 should have a video review team similar to what we have for challenging or reviewing plays um, but 
this would take place, you know, at the Big 12 offices after games, you know, during the middle of the week or something like that, where indisputably wrong calls that can't be changed in game. We're talking about, you know, penalties um, or early whistles like what Jalen Null got hit with. The refs that make these bad calls could be susceptible to fines or, you know, pay deductions or some other sort of uh, uh, disciplinary measure. If enough of them stack up, then uh, potentially increasing your fine levels up to and even including, um, you know, firing them. But and then another thing that I want to see is mandatory postgame press conferences. Just I mean, some of this is a little bit for my own enjoyment because I do really want to see, you know, people like Chris Williams or Pete Mundo just absolutely grill officials. I think that would be fantastic to watch. Um, but it then again, it actually could help because of the psychological incentive structure that it gives for integrity. People don't like to be put in the position where they have what they do, where they have their actions questioned. And so when you put them in front of that camera and you allow the press to ask them questions, people don't want to face hard questions. So the Big 12 officials and any other officials in any other league that would try this would be more incentivized to make sure that their calls are accurate as often as possible so that they don't have to face as many hard questions because they don't want to have to face those hard questions. That's the psychology of it, and that's one thing that needs to change, in my opinion, as well. And I think that this is something that could be applied across all sports in the NCAA. We could see this in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, looking at you, Angel Hernandez. Um, But that is something that absolutely needs work and it's something that's a very 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 long time coming and I really hope that it's not too far out in the future because it needs to change and it needs to change soon now let's move on to the game itself again we played Kansas last weekend and uh, that did not go well Mm. so pretty much a short recap slow start eventually knocked Iowa State out of first place in the Big 12. Yeah, which, to be fair, we knew teams were going to be falling out of Big 12 after last week, but, yeah, Rocktober's over. Um, the play calling was back to its old predictable self. Uh, run on first, run on second, short pass on third down, very little variation. It's extremely predictable. RRP does not work, Sheila Haas. You should know this by now. You're a coordinator in the college game this is something that you should have you know moved on past a long time ago this is something that you should have learned probably when you were playing football as like a middle schooler or a high schooler this isn't something that we should be having to explain right now but that's the basic nature of it you can't be predictable otherwise that's what's going to happen and our ground game got absolutely nowhere. Our pass game was stifled. We would get a first down here or there and then punt, or we would turn the ball over. And that is just unacceptable. And when we did change the formula, on the rare occasions that we did, it worked. I think when we tried that trick play, threw the ball down the field, yep, that went great. Why don't we try more of those? They, were, they, they work. And no one ever sees them coming because of how predictable our offense is. 
It reminded me how Xavier Hutchinson threw that touchdown pass against Texas a couple of years ago. Yeah, that too. But like, it's when we run trick plays, we actually have a quite high success rate with them because there. I mean, nobody sees them coming. No one, no one on our own team, it seems like, sees them coming because of how little we run them comparatively toward other teams. Honestly, if I'm another team's defensive coordinator and I'm game planning for Iowa State. I am not practicing any I'm, – I'm not even going to talk about the potential of Iowa State running trick plays because like, that's just not something that you need to think about most of the time because how often does Iowa State actually run a trick play? Maybe once or twice a season. Maybe once or twice a season. And half the time what looks like a trick play ends up not even being a trick play because it's – you know, you, it looks like a fake field goal or something where it was actually a bad snap and he actually was supposed to kick it, but the holder couldn't get it down, so he picked it up and ran with it or something like that. We saw that for a two-point conversion against Kansas last year. But that's one thing that we're looking at. And I really hate to say this right now, but the way we run our offense reminds me way too much of how Iowa runs their offense. Brian Ferentz is gone. We just got rid of Tom Manning over this. Shiel Haas, do better. Otherwise, the writing's going to be on the wall for you, too, before long. Um, there was hope in the second half. Yeah, there was hope in the second half after Shiel Haas decided to get aggressive uh, late in the third quarter, but it ended up being too little too late, yeah. which is what unfortunately has been the story for, uh, well, for Iowa State the last couple of years, uh, Tom Manning's last year, and then most of our losses this year. And then if you watch Iowa games, that's the story for every Iowa fan for the last, I don't know, 17 years or something like that. Or, well, probably not that long. Since Ricky Stanzi was their quarterback, with the one exception um, being, I believe it was, was it 2016, where they went, where they ran the table until they got to the Big Ten title game? That was 2016, wasn't it? Mm. I think it was. I don't think so. Anyway. I can't remember. It, it was somewhere in that neighborhood it Was where C.J. Beathard was their quarterback. They went to the Rose Bowl, and then they got absolutely steamrolled by CMC. But um, anyway, yeah. the we Shieldhouse tried to give us some hope in the – yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. it was 2015? Thanks, Vinny. <laughs> oh, it was 2016? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. I mean, yeah, we did have some hope in the second half, but – yeah, I mean, yeah, that hope kind of got crushed when Lawrence Arnold sealed the deal for Kansas with an 80-yard pass touchdown. The first play after Juicy Wiggle, too. That Seriously, was, that hurt. That was def That was very, very deflating. That's that's a morale killer, mm -hmm. and that was, yeah, that definitely sealed it. Even though it wasn't, like, mathematically over at that point, it was kind of emotionally over yeah. for the team and for everyone that was in the crowd. After that, uh, Contreras drilled the field goal. Uh, with less than five minutes left, and then we never got the ball back. The team fought. I mean, they, 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 they fought back in the second half. We did fight. and then Shieldhaas fought back in the fourth quarter and after not doing any fighting for the first three quarters of the game. <laughs> um, yeah. Once it got past that uh, field goal, Kansas pretty much ran the clock from there. Yeah. We needed stops, and we couldn't get them. Kansas's pass game was actually quite good in that game. Yes. We did effectively stop their run game, which is something where they had been quite dominant. 
this was something that I pointed out in our keys to victory last week, and it just wasn't enough. I did not expect them to be able to go off like that in the past game. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I don't know if there was a whole lot of people that did see that coming. But nonetheless, that is the way things played out. Um, we did get announced that Texas is going to be another night game. Yep. Um, so that will be a week and one day from mm-hmm. the time of recording here. It will be on Fox, but will it be on Big Noon Kickoff? That's, well, that's, that's, that's uh, what we still have to find out. When did when is it they usually decide that? Isn't it uh, like the a couple days beforehand or something like that? Like that Thursday? Not sure. It's usually it's always the week beforehand. Like they're not going to have it decided yet because yep. they still have a week of football yet to play before that. Yeah, no. With where we got another uh, night game in at BYU, we get a lot of night games in a row here. Bro, BYU, we are pulling an all nighter. That's dude. No, I'm not doing an all nighter for that. <laughs> it's going to be late enough. That game going to be getting over at like midnight Central Time. Yeah. Um. That's that's going to be a tough one playing in BYU just because environment. Provo is a tough place for pretty much anybody to play in regardless of how BYU is actually doing in a given year. Yeah. But And coming out of their loss, they're, they're going to be coming to this game angry. Yeah. So Provo, I mean, BYU, that's, that is going to be a tough game. Um, Vinny, can you get us a spread on that game right now? Because I don't have that in front of us here. Yeah. I'm kind of interested to see what the time frame is going to be or how that's – well, we know what the time frame is going to be. We know it's going to be starting at uh, 8 local time, 7 central – or not 7, uh, nine, 9 central time. So it's going to be a late game. This is going to be kind of Iowa State's first rendition of – well, not really Pac-12 after dark, but same time slot. And I'm interested to see – whether playing that late has an effect on our players, whether they're going to be getting more tired, because that's something that um, can definitely be a factor. Yep. Um, Will we play until one in the morning? I th- this game better not go that long, because until one in the morning would basically require overtime. Do you have a spread for us, Vinny? Iowa State minus eight. Mm-hmm. Oh lord, that sounds like rat poison. Really? I'm taking BYU to cover this. Yep. I don't think we would get to 1 a.m., but I think we'll be close. Anyway, on the spread, Iowa State minus eight. Blake, who's winning, who's covering? I think BYU will cover. Uh, I think I think BYU might get lucky with this one. They're just probably just going to come angry enough after last week's loss. I mean, they're going to be playing in a tough environment. And I feel like it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a close one. I mean, we're coming off a loss, too, as well. So I think that that takes away a little bit some of BYU's advantage for coming off a loss. I think that's a little bit neutralized. I think eight points is a really large spread for this game, though, especially with it being in Provo. I do feel, I, I do think that Iowa State's going to be able to rebound for this one. Um, I like Iowa State to win, but BYU to cover. Uh, I'll take... Uh, this doesn't feel like a very high-scoring game to me. I'm feeling something along the lines of Iowa State 24, BYU 22. Unconventional score type of game. Mm-hmm. Feels like that type of game. Yep. For me, too, I feel like it would stay in the 20s range as well. Um, 
let's uh, let's take a look at volleyball here. Um, while football was a little bit dark last week, volleyball was a bright spot. We had two wins against TCU and Fort Worth, which were desperately needed conference wins to get us up in the standings, uh, boost our uh, boost the way we look in front of the selection committee for when that starts rolling around. Um, we're currently sitting at sixth in the Big 12 now. Um, one of those wins against TCU was a sweep, um, which is good. Uh, definitely, definitely makes our team look better. Mm-hmm. Um, we're up to second in the Big 12 in blocks allowed per set now, uh, 1.92. Where the other teams aren't blocking us, which is good. That's some place that we do stand out from the Big 12, where we do hold an advantage over other schools. Um, we're sitting at fourth in kills, which is standout ish. We're not having the we're not having problems getting the ball to the other side of the court. We're not getting blocked. That's that's what that stats is telling us. But in basically every other metric right now, Iowa State is falling in the middle of the conference. It's usually somewhere between fifth and seventh, which means that they're really, really average. Which for as young as our team is, we know we're better. Is probably okay. We're we're that's pr- for as young as our team is, being really average is actually probably okay, because you know they're going to get better in the next couple of years, and most of our players still have two years of eligibility left, if not more. We have because we have on our roster we've got one super senior, two seniors, and two juniors, and the rest of our roster is sophomores and freshmen, mostly mm-hmm. sophomores. Yep. So. We're sitting in a good spot as far as that goes. If you're going to be average, you might as well be young and average because then you can reliably expect those numbers to go up in the next coming years. And, you know, give it two years, Iowa State volleyball might be a pretty deadly force. Um, we got some other stuff going on uh, off the court for volleyball as well. Yep. Naila Gonzalez, rookie of the week for the third time. This might as well make her rookie of the season. Basically, yeah, she's Nayeli's basically rookie of the year at this point. Yep. Uh, her, I mean, her offense is absolutely fantastic. She's got a cannon of an arm, and it's it's hard for opponents to dig her when she gets the ball hit into uh, hit into a hole or going down the line. Oh yeah. The number of times that you know one of her attacks gets you know shanked or just completely missed is pretty high mm. um, relative to what some of our Relative, not just our own hitters, but just relative to what you see um, generally. Nayeli's got quite a talent attacking the ball. Um, we got some new uh, new information on the recruiting trail here, some uh, new faces that we can expect to see next year. Yep, and we got a lot of these going going around every every sport. We had National, national Signing Day was Wednesday, correct? Should, For multiple sports. Yes, should have been Wednesday. And it was multiple sports. We will get into those later. But for now, for volleyball, uh, we'll start off. Emily Bobitz, uh, she'll, she'll be on setter. She's, she's from Clayton, North Carolina. Rachel Van Gorp, uh, libero outside hitter from Old Kansas. Olathe. Olathe. And then uh, Shea Patterson, middle blocker from St. Charles, Missouri. Pearson. Shea Pearson? Yeah. What did I say? Patterson. Oh Lord. <laughs> I can't read. Um yeah, what I'm what I'm looking at when I'm seeing this, uh having another setter on the team would be really nice right now. Um, considering 
Uh, right now we've only got two. Next year, Addy's going to be a senior. So we're going to have we're going to have plenty of experience in the setter spot next year with Addy being a senior and Morgan being a junior. Um, Morgan's obviously going to be starting again, assuming that she doesn't, you know, have an injury or something like that. But so just covering my bases here, I'm not assuming that she have one or anything like that. I don't want her to have any injuries because she's good. She does a great job setting for us right now. But having that third setter on the team opens up a little bit more possibility for, you know, running a, a being able to run a six-two offense or something like that, so that you have someone who can, you know, step in there in the event of you know you lose a setter to injury. Whereas right now that's something we can't really do, um, which is and we're playing a five-one right now because of that. But I like I like the idea of that option being opened up, and maybe we play a five-one next year anyway. But I, I do like the idea of that option being opened up. Um, having a, Oh, I forgot to mention uh, another one of our juniors. Brooke Stone Street's also a junior. Um, but at Libero, uh, Rachel Van Gorp is a Libero. She's also listed as an outside hitter, so we'll see what ends up happening there. But with uh, um, Brooke and Paula both being upperclassmen, then – having an additional libero who's a freshman will uh be good to have you know potentially just use as a as a ds next year um if not red shirt and then be able to move them into a libero full-time after that mm-hmm. um someone who, someone who can step in and fill those shoes yeah and all and all of our recruits got have amazing honors like whether that's watch lists or or multiple state champions, player of the year. Yeah, that's – I mean, the the accolades are all great stuff to be looking at, but from a strategic position, Coach Christie was on point this year, going for exactly who we needed to be going for. I mean, and I hadn't gotten to uh, Shea Pearson yet, but being at the middle, that's someplace that we're going to need a little bit of extra help next year because we're graduating two medals this year. So – pulling in another middle um, to help fill that gap after we lose Alexis and Jordan is going to be great. We know we know that Pam can do good stuff. We know that Kelsey can do stuff. We saw a lot of great stuff from Kelsey last year. So, I mean, presumably I haven't seen any of uh, Shea Pearson's film or anything like that. Um, so presumably, you know, she could be pretty great too. I, I, I don't really know how she fits in there quite yet. But we know from what I, I've seen from Pam and Kelsey that, you know, they're both very capable of starting. They both have started games. Now, Kelsey hasn't this year. She did last year, and Pam wasn't on the team last year because she's a freshman this year. But our blockers are going to be young next year, but they're going to be talented, and we're going to have a lot of capability there. And I, 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 like to, I, I, I like the prospect of what that could be. Um. Now, tonight and then tomorrow afternoon, we've got uh, games against Kansas. And uh, Kansas is a tough opponent, Blake. They are ranked 14. They, that is what they're currently ranked in the coaches' poll. They stand at second in the Big 12. They got a 9-3 and three conference record, if I'm not mistaken. And they currently lead the Big 12 in hitting percentage at 271. They lead at kills per set at 13.95. 
So what I was saying about us not struggling to get the ball to the other side of the court, they don't struggle to get the ball to the other side of the court either, but they also get the ball on the ground. And that's and like us, they don't allow many blocks, which is just you know further evidence of the claim I just made. But another thing that is worth mentioning here, they also lead the conference in serve-receive and digs as well. Um, so what that's saying is they can dig the ball a lot. They're getting a lot of digs per set, which means they're getting attacked at, but those attacks that are coming toward Kansas aren't scoring. Kansas is having long, drawn-out points, and they're winning them. Do you know how many or do you know how many uh, aces other teams get on them? I don't have that information on me, no. Uh, when I was looking at that before, it wasn't anything that stood out to me enough to write down. Um, but it's, it's, there, it's, the pay, it's a pace of game thing. You go into long points with Kansas, they're going to win. That's what they've been doing. They've been winning out long, drawn-out rallies. And so if you want to beat them, here, I mean, here's the keys to victory that you got to have. One of them, the big one that I want to focus on here, score quickly. Because KU's allowed dig numbers are high, but their own dig numbers are higher. So that's Kansas is winning on the long rallies. If you get into long rallies, Kansas is going to win them. So don't let them get the long rallies. So when, and that means on your side when Kansas is serving, you got to side out quick. It's got to be on that first. It's got to be on the uh, off the serve receive. Mm-hmm. That's got to happen. Yeah. My main one is avoid errors and anything that will get Kansas on a run, because I've seen our squad like fall into other other teams' runs. Like they've they've made mistakes that like contributed to those, and they've lost sets to that. Right, where it's just repeated errors. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then the last key to victory for this uh, series against Kansas is tool the block. KU, while they are elite in the conference in many categories, they're just kind of average in their blocking. They don't really stand out. There's not a lot to write home about there. So while many other parts of the team are dominant. Tooling also avoids Kansas's ability to dig the ball. You tool off the block, and they're not going to have a chance to dig it. So that would be a great place to target Kansas, and if they do that, that could set them up for the upset win here. Hopefully, two upset wins, but that's quite the dice roll. Uh, men's basketball got started this last week. Oh, Monday they played Green Bay. Last night, they played Lindenwood, and I, we need to look at some first impressions here because that's all we've really got to work with. We've played you know, two teams that don't really mean a whole lot because they're soft, but this isn't the same kind of ball that Otz has given us the last two years. Why is that? We have offense. I mean, we have a completely revamped roster. The only player from two years ago remaining on Otz's roster is Bob Jones. And Bob Jones now is not the same as Bob Jones was then. Mm-hmm. Bob Jones is much, much better now. I love what I've been seeing from Bob Jones the last couple of games. He is uh, – he. I mean, he's much stronger. He's much more physical. He's basically a walking 6'10 muscle now. 
and he can push basically anybody around in the post. It seems like. Oh yeah. I, I kind of he he's been completely dominant in terms of physicality anytime he's been in there, and I, I love seeing that from Bob Jones. I don't have enough good words to say about that. Yeah. I kind of want to go back to to like you saying like oh we have offense now, yeah. So the first year Otts was here, like we were not the greatest offensive shooting team. Like I've got to say that. No, we weren't. We weren't either of his first two years here, mm-hmm. and we're on year three now. Yep, and I I could definitely say. Like, I know it's only been two games, but it shows. Some of it, some of it, I think, is that this year it feels like this is Otz's team. Um, it seems like the last couple of years he was very much piecing things together from you know the transfer portal, making sure he had all of the components of a team to be able to put a product on the floor. Whereas this year it feels more cohesive. I know, especially against the game in the game against Lindenwood last night, as we're watching that. They go on the floor, and the way the ball is moving around, the way they're passing the rock, it just looks more cohesive. Like, they're all locked in, and they're all reading it together. Everything is – they're they're thinking the same way on offense, and it's much faster, and it's, it's a much higher quality offense. And – some of that too, and there, there's a lot of individual talent that uh, I'm liking what we're seeing on offense. I, I, I got to start with Keyshawn Gilbert on this one. He's a great place to start. This dude can ball handle. Like holy smokes, he is slippery. He is quick. He is breaking guys' ankles. He cuts like a knife to the basket. It is amazing. I, I'm so glad we're seeing from Keyshawn Gilbert what we're seeing this year because this is something that we've kind of lacked for quite a while I'm not really used to seeing this at, at Iowa State because it's been so long since we've had a player that could do this um yeah that's that's what I got on Keyshawn you want to look at Omaha yeah yeah Omaha hasn't been starting uh I think I think he's getting okay playing time he he still has a lot to learn but he's but, got to adjust to the college game yep a lot of a Which, lot of people for you know someone he I mean he's playing at the four spot generally that's a very physical position yeah. and that's a lot different than what he's been playing in high school ball uh, the size of guys that he's playing against in college are significantly bigger and so that, that's going to take some getting used to for him um but we've got hope for him we've got hope it'll he'll take some time to adjust and when we get to big 12 play that's going to be trial by fire and that's where we'll really see what he can offer us in year one. But I'm thinking right now, year one might not be his year, but he might be kind of like a Tyrese Halliburton type of situation where he's he could become good in year one, but year two, he might become a very, very dominant force on the floor. Hmm. And I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, guys that might not have a year two because they go to the NBA – uh, Milan Mamchilovic, who I'm probably not pronouncing his name correctly, uh, very well could be our next sharpshooter. His name is Milan Mamchilovic. And that's assuming that you are also pronouncing it correctly, which we don't really know. But anyway, someone get him a nickname. I looked at one of John Walter's tweets. This is like the one place that he's actually lacking. Like, we just need a nickname. Then he'll be, like, the most complete basketball player ever. 
look at Milan Mancilovic pronunciation, then you'll find a tweet by John Walters. Okay, then. Um, but I was I saw a clip of this on Instagram earlier today. It was talking about Mamchilovic's shooting motion, and it was comparing it to Larry Bird's and just how clean it is, how, how, how good his form is on the shot. And, yeah, is he Larry Bird? No. But the form, his shooting motion, is actually very similar. We saw last night, like, with his shooting motion and how much of – of how much he stepped back at such an angle, took a mid-range shot. Well, his directionality with that shooting motion is beautiful. It's just it's outright gorgeous. How clean and how fluid and how direct his shooting motion is, and that's something that you just don't see from even some players in the NBA. Um, you know that that kind of a clean shooting motion. And I'm I'm really glad that we've got someone who can shoot like that on our team. I mean, against Green Bay, he was six for seven from three, and he was again uh, three for seven last night. So this this dude is shooting well, which puts him at nine for thirteen on the year so far. That's really really good. And uh, in that first game against Green Bay, everyone who attempted multiple buckets made at least one. Um, so we're getting the ball spread around. That's effective uh, effective offense down the bench as well. Um, our defense is still strong, um, or at least it looks like it's still strong. We didn't allow Green Bay to get above 50 points. They got 44 points. Uh, Lindenwood had, was it 47 points, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, yeah, how strong is our defense? Uh, we'll find out against better competition. There is. Um, but, yeah, we did get Lindenwood and um, – so I, I mentioned what the Lindenwood scored, but Blake, how many did we score? Over 100. Yeah, triple digits. Not used to seeing that one on uh, men's basketball at Iowa State. I think that was Otz's first triple digit win. I'm reasonably certain it was because the offensive pace and potency of the last two teams most certainly wasn't getting there. Yeah. And honestly, I don't even remember. I don't remember off the top of my head any instances of that happening under Coach Prome. Uh, maybe it happened. He was here long enough where it very well could have happened. But when I think offense at Iowa State, I'm thinking of Hoiberg, not Prome. So this very well could be the, the – this could be the year, the way it's going right now, and the kind of fluidity that we're seeing on the offense. This could be the year that puts Otts in the offensive coach category. Hmm. And not just you know uh, a defensive mastermind because we we have seen that he's a defensive mastermind the last two oh, definitely. years, and they're not letting Green Bay or Linden would get even remotely close to us here. He's boys have played great defense against uh, the two cupcakes so far. Um, yeah, Lindenwood they didn't hit fifty. The second half was just one enormous run. That was fantastic. It was just brutal. Because we had, was it at one point, like it was like a 56 to 8 run or something like that? It was nuts. Um, yeah. We got some uh, new recruits for men's basketball as well, Blake. Yep. Dwayne Pierce, uh, sh- shooting guard. Uh, not sure about the shooting guard, but. Well, a guard's a, a, guard's a guard okay. at this point when you're talking about recruiting. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Pierce at guard from Long Island, New York. And no, just. Indrusatis. 
I think. Yeah, I have no hope of pronouncing that correctly. Andrew Sadis from Chicago, Illinois. Pierce uh, actually announced his commitment during his high school basketball so game. He's from, he's from Long Island. I'm wondering. Yeah. I guess I guess we'll find out maybe at some point in the future. But you know how Yormark is uh, getting the Big 12 involved at Rucker Park? I'm, uh, I'm a little bit curious to know if that had anything to do with that at all. Hmm. Um, being that he's from New York. Now, granted, there's a lot of people in New York, and Rucker Park is, you know, a very, very prestigious place. But, I mean, then again, at the same time, D1 recruit. So we'll we'll find that out in the future. Yeah. And then uh, uh, no juice, indrusitis. Indrusitis. Someone please tell me how to pronounce that correctly. Um, tenth highest ranked signee for Iowa State in the modern era, I see. So let's get that. I, uh, I'm liking that, especially after we've got what is potentially the best recruiting class Iowa State's ever had this year. Um, so that's that's great news. Women's basketball. Um, we've had the first actual game on the season so far after last week's exhibition. Field trip game. We won in front of the kids. Yes, they did. The win versus uh, Butler, a, a P6 opponent nonetheless, and they dominated them 82-55. to 55. It's a nearly 30-point win against a P6 opponent. Great, great way to start the season. Um, Blake, who are you looking at as for who stood out in that game? Nightmare Dew had herself a game. Uh, 19 points, almost had a double-double, uh, had nine rebounds. Yeah, nine, nine boards. Uh, Nightmare Dew is basically the de facto leader of this team right now because mm-hmm. of her seniority mm-hmm. um, and her experience because Emily Ryan is currently out with injury. Until Emily's back on the court, I, I, I don't see how anybody other than Naya can be, like, the leader of this team on the court. Mm-hmm. And, once, and once Emily comes back, it's, it's going to be a dynamic duo with both of them. Yes. It's, it's going to be great. Um we got some other some other highlights from that one too. It's now not a bow and Kelsey Jones, dude. They're they're great and mm-hmm. the newcomers. The newcomers are just doing really good right now. And we knew mm-hmm. the newcomers were gonna have to take a lot of weight. Yep. But they've been impressive so far, and I I like what I'm seeing. Uh, Kelsey Jones uh, scored in double figures. Had almost had a double double herself. She had eight mm-hmm. boards. Um, I think Addie Brown had 11 points too. Yeah. Um, but it's it's all good stuff right now, and I like what I'm seeing from the newcomers, most of which are freshmen. It's young, it's dynamic, and there's a lot of potential here for what they could develop into, especially if they're already performing like this. Um, and add to that, we got a couple new recruits signed for next year as well. Yep. Reagan Wilson uh, from Indiana. Uh and then Ailey Tonk, if, if that's how you say Ailey it. Ailey Tonk, Tonky, I don't know what the correct pronunciation is, but staying home, she's from Johnston, Iowa, so that's only a half-hour drive from Ames. Mm-hmm. They're um, both on guard, so which some, we, something to look forward to. Yep, and Coach Fenley loves his guards, and we're going to need a new guard uh, next year after graduating uh, Emily Ryan. So our next game, Drake. In Des Moines on Sunday. Yes. Never sleep on Drake, Blake. Mm-mm. Never sleep on Drake. 
just the whole state of Iowa, like with women's basketball, like essentially. Drake is one of those teams where are they ever going to be elite within our lifetime? Eh, probably not. But this is one of those teams where year in and year out, they're beating teams that no one expects them to. And this is the men's and women's side of the ball. They will find a way to win games that don't make sense for them to win. Did last year, did they scare Iowa? Like, was that last year? I want to say that was last year mm-hmm. where they where they came close to beating that, you know, that Iowa team from last year that made the title run, or the title game run. Mm-hmm. And very well could make another title game run this year the way they're looking. They uh beat Virginia Tech last night who was ranked number 8, so and the game wasn't extraordinarily close. Caitlin Clark had over half the team's points, but um, yeah, Drake, they're always competitive in the MVC. They're building a basketball culture there. It's They're going to be fun to watch. Wrestling had a win versus Cleveland State, for, uh, and they gave David Carr a nice little homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the duel at Perry High School, which is where David Carr went. So he got to visit home for that. And, of course, as you do when you have a homecoming bout like that, he won by fall in the first period. It was amazing. It was a minute 47 fall. And all nine of our bout victories in that duel, they had bonus points. Our lone loss was Jacob Frost at 141 pounds. He lost it in a 22-18 to 18 decision. Uh, he tried to come back. He had a couple seven-point moves put on him early from the – and the new scoring affected this as well with your three-point takedowns. But he tried to come back from that, just wasn't quite able to get there. Um, This was the Iowa State debut for Caleb Helgeson, Nando Villasquiza. I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation of that is here either. Um, Evan Frost at 133 pounds, and Anthony Ekamendia at 149 pounds. Younger Bastidas moved up to heavyweight. And he looked great there. And as I previously mentioned, it's the first year with the new scoring rules. And we're already seeing higher scoring affairs. As I mentioned, Jacob Frost lost his bout 22-18. to 18. Um, So, and of course, signing day was earlier this week. We got recruiting for wrestling, too. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of them I just saw today. Uh, so, I think we're up to five now. Um all these all these signing numbers could easily change, but this is what we've seen. Sawyer Sawyer Bartlett. Well, uh, of course these numbers. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, you guys you have them adjusted in the notes. Yep, yep, yeah. Sawyer Bartlett uh, from Miami, Florida. Kane. Uh, Kane Nakaborn. Nice. From Marion. Mm-hmm. Um, Owen Helgeson, Adrian Adrian Meza, Danielle Herrera. All with Elgison's from Johnson, Iowa as well. Mm-hmm. So that's again real close. Um, you know, yeah, all these great honors. Like, like the list goes on for like for like all of them too. So, Coach Dresser's cooking. Yeah, Kane Nakaborn's from Marion as well. He's from uh, Iowa. Of course, we all know Iowa is one of the best wrestling states for high school in the country. So that's good stuff to see getting local recruits because they're going to be competitive and 
a lot of these guys have got just great records, great you know state appearances, other accolades, good stuff. Our uh, home opener duel is going to be Sunday against Davidson. And then after that, Blake, Cyhawk, Cyhawk, probably probably going to be the biggest wrestling match ever. In oh, Iowa. it absolutely will be. This is going to be the first televised or first re- uh, regular season wrestling duel televised on ESPN. That has never been done before. And so, and it Iowa will- and Iowa State are going to be the first to crack it. Two of the most uh, historically great wrestling schools in the country are going to get to, you know, face off and put on, you know, a, a wrestling spectacle in front of the country. Are you predicting a sold-out Hilton Coliseum? Oh, absolutely it's going to be sold out. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. It might be a pretty fair mix of Hawkeyes and Cyclones because it's insane what Hawkeyes will spend money on for wrestling tickets uh, resale. But it's it's going to be very entertaining and it's going to be loud. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, it does not matter how this particular duel goes. It is going to be loud. It's going to be really entertaining either way. And Iowa's got a talented team too. A lot of their wrestlers are really entertaining to watch. I mean, this one of the thing I, things I like about wrestling is that, you know, you have your rivalries, but a lot of the rivalries are a lot more friendly and there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of mutual respect in the world of wrestling and it's it, it makes it very entertaining when you face off against your rivals um, because there is that respect there. Um, softball, we got some recruiting in softball. I think eight is how much they had. So, like, because I did see a news article. It's like, oh, softball. Yep, I got eight here listed in the notes. Yep, softball signs eight. So, Danica Best, uh who will be outfielding? Uh, who will be outfielding? Jessica Clemens on infield. Carly Ford, catcher. Haley Oliver, who's an outfielder. Victoria Prado, who's an outfielder. Serenity Trice, infielder. Abby Hewn, who is listed as both pitcher and outfielder, and uh, Samantha Potvin, listed as a pitcher. Um, nice to get some more pitching in there. I know that's someplace that we've got holes to fill after uh, graduating Ellie Spellog, who was far and away our best pitcher last year. Mm-hmm. So nice to see that uh, Coach Pinkerton is bringing in plenty of new faces. and Especially from California. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of faces from California here. But with bringing all that in, that means there's going to be a lot of you know talent to work with to be able to put on the field. Mm. So that's that's good stuff. Um, Blake, sounds like a storm's rolling in. I think I hear some some high-speed winds. Sound them sirens, you know. All right. So we got some great news from both cross-country teams today. Both cross-country teams are headed to nationals. Both cross-country uh, teams secured Cyhawk points today. We are now leading the Cyhawk series 6-5. to five. So Iowa has wins in soccer and football. We have both cross countries and volleyball. Uh, our next our next one will obviously be wrestling, so we'll stay tuned for that. Uh, Cyclone Swimmies sign six new recruits: Angela Peck, uh, Maggie Maggie Bendel, yep, 
Lily Neeser, Grace Grace Merrick, Abby Tol- Tolfson, and Carly Poppin. Gymnastics sign uh, Haley Harden, Emery Clayson, and Aubrey Aubrey Genie. Genie, Guinea, whatever that Guinea. pronunciation is. Like fucking, I should I should have asked Coach Greek that. Um, club club hockey, not much new. They still have to play Maryville this weekend. After that, they'll they'll face Midland. Uh, they'll they'll play one game here and one in uh, Midland in Nebraska. Um, I can't remember how the series is split or who goes where. But uh, I also got to give a shout out to Club Rugby. Retweet the episode, Jonah. You got your shout out. They will soon. They will soon to compete in their conference tournament. They'll first face K State today at two p.m. and the championship or consolation on Sunday. Consolation? Psh, what's that? No, they're going to the championship. Yeah, let's go to the championship. They're also sitting at nine players in the All Conference North team top top fifteen. They had uh, the top fifteen had other players from Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska, and Iowa State just dominated there. So. And soccer. Soccer event. Soccer does not exist. It's not real. Stop. Soccer event. Uh, soccer signs Lawrence Lawrence LeBlanc from uh, Quebec on defense. So, got some nice international on there. All right, pro sports, hit me. Vikings had a win, and they covered three and a half points versus the Falcons, 31-28. Uh, Josh Dobbs started the game five days after arriving in Minnesota. He didn't even really know the playbook. Um, the The AP game summary was great on this. They made sure to list right at the very beginning of their game summary that Dobbs still doesn't really even know his teammates' names. He's still learning his teammates' names in Minnesota. Um, but that's kind of remarkable that they were able to put up 31 points on a game where your quarterback doesn't even know his own players. Um, their next game is going to be at home versus the Saints. The New Orleans, is, the odds are favoring New Orleans two and a half points. Blake, who wins, who covers? New Orleans doesn't cover. And Vikings win. Barely. All right, I, I'm taking New Orleans to both win and cover. Um, the Bears, Thursday night football. They beat the Panthers 16-13 to last night. Um, Justin Fields wasn't cleared to return yet. Uh, Tyson Badgett made his fourth consecutive start. Um, the Bears are three for their last six now. Um, so with Panthers, with Panthers' loss to the Bears, do, do we need to go over – our standard of bad in the NFL. Yeah, Panthers, it's you. You still only have one win. You're you're bad now. Until you prove otherwise, you're our new standard of bad, Carolina. You're worse than the Broncos, the Bears. You lost to the Vikings while the Vikings were still winless, and now they have momentum. And the Packers. So, and then on top of that, the Bears are having success now with Justin Fields off the field. So, Blake, there's some important questions to be asked right now when it comes to whether or not the Bears are wanting to keep Justin Fields. That's that they need to confront that. Do they do do you think they want that? 
I don't know if they – I don't think they know what they want. <laughs> because I hear Bears fans talking up Justin Fields like he's the best thing since sliced bread. Meanwhile, he can't find Cole Komet, you know, when there's not a defender within 20 yards of him. So – I, I don't think that it's good for the Bears to keep Justin Fields around. No. I also don't think that they should draft Caleb Williams, <laughs> but that's the situation with the Bears. Uh, the Packers? Packers won and cover. Uh, they covered against the Rams. So, so, Rams, how do you lose to Jordan Love and the Packers? Yeah, it looks like I'm eating my words after saying that Green Bay is the standard of bad in the NFL. Uh, Watch Carolina win now. Oh, gosh. Carolina's going on like a 6-0 run. Do, do this, we? Yeah. Are we going to start? This is the way that's going. I have to change my standard of bad in the NFL every week, it seems <laughs> yep. like. So that's uh, that's the way that's going. Cyclone. Yeah, I bet if I said the Chiefs were the standard of bad, they'd win out. So Cyclones in the NFL. Anthony Johnson Jr. representing. He he caught an interception. And Green Bay's next game is at Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh is slated to win by three and a half. Blake, who wins? Who covers? It's gonna be Pitt. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Pittsburgh by well more than three and a half. Like I would, like honestly, I I would love to see an alt line of like Pittsburgh minus sixteen and a half or something like that. Yeah. Because, honestly, that'd probably be worth it. Uh, Chiefs, they're up to 7-2 and two this year. They had a win. They covered minus 1.5 in Germany against the Dolphins versus Tyreek Hill, who is, you know, noteworthy because he's a former Chief and about the closest human being we have to a flash on the, gr- the, flash hmm. on the gridiron. So that's great. And the Chiefs' defense dominated this game. They held Miami scoreless until 447 uh, in had passed in the er, sorry till 447 in the uh, third quarter. And Miami is supposed to be the best offense in the NFL. Now they sure weren't showing it on Sunday. And the highlight of this game was a 59-yard scoop and score. Um, Mike Edwards recovered the fumble, and as he was about to get you know, tackled, push out of bounds, somewhere in that neighborhood, laterals the ball to Brian Cook, or lateral handoff, whatever you want to call it. He gives the ball to Brian Cook. Brian Cook takes off, takes off end zone. Uh, six points for the Kansas City defense. And it was amazing. And once again, I had the wrong defense in for fantasy. I Yeah. I did not think that the Chiefs' defense was going to perform that well against the best offense in the NFL, and they did absolutely amazing. So, it's not like the Steelers' defense did terrible for me, but yeah. And then the Chiefs have a bye week this week. Yes. Let's uh, let's go to the NBA here real quick. NBA, we got the Timberwolves. Uh, so far, or this week, they have wins against the Jazz, Celtics, Pelicans. How long do you think they'll keep up the streak? Um, well, it's the NBA, so going on hot streaks like that usually doesn't last all that long. Um, they got upcoming back-to-back games against the Warriors, so that's that's going to be tough. The Warriors are a good team this year. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the Warriors are 6-3 and three as far as their record goes. 
Um, I think that the Timberwolves can probably win one, but not both. Um, the Timberwolves are sitting at third in the NBA in point differential right now at ten and a half uh, points per game. So not only are they winning games, they're winning games dominantly, mm-hmm. which is a great place to be right now if you're Minnesota. And then from there we got the uh, the next week, uh, which does include those two Warriors games. And then uh, tonight they got the Spurs, and then they'll also have the Suns after the two back-to-back Warriors games. The Milwaukee Bucks in this last week had uh, three wins in a row against the Knicks, Nets, and Pistons before having a loss to the Pacers last night. Uh, Giannis played in that Pacers game on an injured ankle, and with an injured ankle, it was a game-time decision, he scored 54 points in this loss to the Pacers. Damian Lillard was out with a calf injury, so that might have had some effect on the game. Um, He is currently listed as a game-time decision for their next game against the Orlando Magic, uh, which I'll get to in a second. Um, And the Bucs are still the second favorite betting to win the NBA Finals at plus 410. They're the second to win the Eastern Conference at plus 175. Um, In both of those situations, they are behind the Boston Celtics. And upcoming for the Bucks, the aforementioned Orlando Magic, and then they've also got games coming up against the Bulls and the Raptors. Speaking of the Bulls, the last week was a bit of a rough one for them. They are down to 3-6 and six in their record. They lost to the Nets and the Nuggets. They had a win versus the Jazz, and then they had an overtime loss to the Suns two nights ago. Um, it's been tough, but at least Alex Caruso is becoming a bit of a defensive menace off the bench. And I, I got to believe he'll be starting at some point before oh, too long here. I mean, he's got 14 steals so far in the season, which is a great number, leads the team in that department. And then he's also tied in, uh, for the team lead in blocks with DeMar DeRozan at uh, seven blocks. So that's, that's good stuff to see coming from Alex Caruso. I'd love to see some uh, better performances from the Bulls as a whole. But it's early in the season. Things can turn around very quickly. So... We'll see how things go for that. They got upcoming games here against the Pistons, the Bucks, and the Magic. The Pistons should be a winnable game. The Pistons are not good at all. Mm. If I'm not mistaken, they've only got two wins so far on the season. Ooh. They're not a good team. The Bucks is going to be tough just because it doesn't really matter what the Bucks have. They score a ton of points. And the Magic, who knows? Um, let's go to the NHL real quick. You got the Minnesota Wild. This week they had wins against the Rangers, the Islanders, and then one loss to the to the Rangers. Yeah, uh, the win against the Rangers was a shootout. Uh, they won it 5-4 in the shootout. Uh, Flurry came up incredibly strong in that shootout. Um, and then on top of that, uh, Matt Boldy got the winning shootout goal, uh, had an assist as well. Uh, Rangers had three goals in the first period, and they blew it in a comeback win for the Wild. So um, the Islanders uh, also lost to the Wild. Uh, That was 31-29. Pat Maron scored 20 seconds into the game and set the scene. And also at this Islanders chance, this this is uh, at the Islanders, the Islanders fans are chanting, uh, Lou must go, in response to uh, general manager. Uh, wow. 
I stumbled over my own tongue there. General Manager uh, Lou Lamoriello. Now, you talk all that you want about wanting your general manager gone. You better have an idea of who you want to replace him with <laughs> because until you have any semblance of who you want to replace your general manager with, you can talk all you want about getting rid of them, but you don't have a solution until you've got somebody else that can do the job better. <laughs> they also had a loss against the Rangers the rain, uh, this week. That Yes, they had two games against the Rangers in this last week. They played the New York teams three times. Um, the Rangers only had one power play, and they won the game 4-1. to one. Um, They, The Wild were only able to score one time against a third-string goalkeeper. It's just not good stuff. And then we got some trade activity from the Wild uh, in this last week. They sent defenseman Kalen Addison to San Jose for uh, prospect forward Adam Raska, and they also got a 2026 fifth-round draft pick for this. Uh, They sent a 2025 seventh-round pick to Tampa Bay for defenseman Zach Bogosian, um, seemingly to replace Kalen Addison at that defenseman spot. They're looking to stabilize defense across the lines because those lower-level lines right now are relatively inexperienced. They have been letting a lot of shots through, and adding that experience, adding that leadership looks to seal some of those gaps. And uh, Blake, they got some upcoming games here this week. Sabres and Stars. Yep. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks in this last week. Uh, wins versus the Panthers and Lightning. They lost to the Devils. Um, th- this isn't your year yet, Blackhawks. I guess you, it, by the re- terms of the record raw, it looks like you're doing a little bit better than you were last year with Connor Bedard on your team. But it's a little bit early to be able to say that definitively. And I, I don't really know whether or not that can be your formula for success is – to just say Connor Bedard problem solved because that's what it's looking like to me is that it's not solved Um, because you're just letting too many. You're letting too many shots through. You get outshot in seemingly every game. I mean, against the Panthers, you got outshot 40 to 25, which is really, really bad. Against the Devils, outshot 41 to 34 you're not going to be able to effectively win games when you're allowing that many shots. Now, yes, you did beat Florida, even though you allowed 40 shots, which that just means that your goaltender in that game was doing really well. That's all that that's really saying. Because you can't reliably plan on winning games when you're doing that. And then then your win against the Lightning, you also got outshot 33-29. to that's a lot less of a disparity, but nonetheless, you are getting outshot again. But how were there six goals in the first quarter or first period? Yeah, that's welcome to hockey. You can have six goals in one period and basically nothing else for the rest of the game. I guess there were two more goals for the rest of that game, but that's that's hockey. You can have a period that's just absolutely electric, and then the rest of the game where it's just dead. So. But that's the way that goes. Upcoming here, they've got the Panthers and the Lightning. And then, of course, as always, we got to talk about the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis Blues, they got wins against the Devils, Canadians, and the Coyotes. Have one loss to the Jets. 
with the Devils. Blue, Blues narrowly won, won with shots, 35-34. Uh, St. Louis only got four points out, out of the top spot in the Central Division. Uh, with the Canadians, uh, Blues won the shots, 35-33. Yeah, out, outside of that loss versus the Jets, they've been pretty dominant in terms of shots. They're not letting a lot of shots get through to the goal. So that's great defense from the Blues, which is something we talked about the coaching changes they made preseason was the intent to improve the defense and get less shots on goal, and that's exactly what they've done. So mission accomplished, St. Louis. You got a winning record right now. You're uh, you are one point out from or sorry, you're four point outs from the top spot in the central division. You're in a good spot. And you keep improving that defense so that you're not having a whole lot of games like you have against the Jets. They're gonna happen every now and then where you let some shots through. That's hockey. It's a random sport. But you're moving in the right direction and you know you keep doing stuff like this you make the right drafts you know a couple of good trades here and there and you might be back to Stanley Cup form like you were a few years ago so good stuff coming from St. Louis and then we get to talk about Major League Baseball again for the first time in a few weeks now that free agency is beginning for the Twins Sonny Gray is entering free agency uh, he was given a qualifying offer by Minnesota, so he has the option to accept that. Whether or not he does, we'll see what ends up happening. The Twins also used their team options on Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco for 2024. So Kep and Jorge will be back in right field and third base next year. The White Sox, uh, Luis Robert Jr. earned a Silver Slugger Award uh, for the Cubs. we got a lot of news for the Cubs right now. Uh, on Monday, Craig Council uh, was signed to the Cubs as their manager from the Brewers after 17 years with the Brewers. So that's we're going to be seeing some changes at the Cubs now and at the Brewers because of that. Um, this likely for the move for the Cubs. This is, I, I think that they're doing this to take that next shot at the World Series. I think they're looking for another one with this kind of managerial move here because. Craig Councils, he turned the Brewers from an absolute nobody into a competitive team. So when the Cubs have the financial resources that they do to be able to build rosters, as long as Craig Council can effectively manage that, the Cubs could be a very, very good team uh, here very soon. Uh, Nico Horner, Dansby Swanson, and Ian Happ all earned gold gloves, and the Cubs don't really have to worry about those players going anywhere unless they elect to trade them. Uh, Cody Bellinger earned a silver slugger. Now Cody Bellinger, they do have to worry about going because he is also entering free agency. Now he was given a qualifying offer as well. Um, whether or not he takes it, again, they don't know. I kind of think that he won't because he's one of the more sought-after uh, free agents right now. The question is, where does he go? Will the Cubs give him a bigger offer that you know entices him to come back more, or does he end up going to you know potentially another big budget franchise? I know there's been some talks about him going potentially to the Yankees or to the Mets. The Giants right now have money to throw around and they need star power. There's a lot of options for Cody Bellinger right now, but is is there anything 
that I'm forgetting with that right now? Any other options for places that he might be uh, or that, uh, for other teams that uh, might be looking to sign Cody Ballinger? Not that I know of. Okay. Um, and then for the Cardinals, a little bit of news for the St. Louis Cardinals, not a lot, but the gold glove streak for Nolan Arenado did come to an end after Cabrian Hayes from Pittsburgh did win the third base golden glove for the National League. Uh, follow us on Twitter or X or whatever you call it now. The correct name is X, but follow us anyway. The correct name is Twitter. Follow me at Blake Gets Eck, 1846. The correct name is Twitter. Did I say the correct name was X? Yes, you did. The correct name is Twitter. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, follow Blake on Twitter. Follow Matt on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me at the Menson Minute. Um, yeah, and also, make sure you hit that follow button on Spotify, that plus button on Apple, or if you are watching this on some other platform that I've forgotten exists, follow us on that too. This is Blake Peterson. I'm Matt Menson. Our producer is Vinny Cataldo, and this has been the Cornfield Sports Pod.